hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast that always changes. All different people. And that's good. <laughs> Do you know what, Fraser? I will never forget who I used to be when I talked to you. No, I, I, I don't know the quote, you know, from the end of this. We'll come to it. Okay. It's a nice we'll bit of dialogue, though. Oh, oh, that's beautiful. So we've gone straight into talking about the episode we'll have, yeah. without... Talking about what episode it is. Well, everyone knows by now, don't they? Yes, indeed. And the... I will say to you right now that the only reason I'm going back and watching this twice in one week, because I've been doing the randomizer lately, and it's a cruel beast, and it gave me <laughs> time with the Doctor and the long game in succession. Yeah, that's an interesting random choice. But then it gave me the Doctor's wife, and I was very happy. Yes. So out of those three, we are, for those who might not have watched, listened, paid attention to what they're clicking on, we are talking about Time of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. We've come full circle, Dexter. Yeah. We um, talked about the 11th hour. Oh, of course. I, do you know what? I had not made that link. We've gone from yeah. the beginning to the end. We have. We've started Matt Smith's era, and we are now going to wrap it up with the time of the doctor now this was your choice mm. you chose this one yes well <clears throat> because one i wanted to do more matt smith episodes because it is a truth universally acknowledged that there is a big black hole in the hamster schedules and that is the majority of matt smith's episodes and a lot of peter capaldi's actually so the moffat yeah. era um and secondly is because i know that you quite like this one mm-hmm. and you are a very seductively persuasive man and uh, so I thought having a conversation with you about this one, you bring typically smart and uh, do your dominator's magic with me, Claxon. Um, and by the end of this, I'll love it. Uh, you got some work cut out for you, though, I'll tell you. Yeah, because you're not a fan of this one, are you? No. No. So for the benefit of those daft people out there that haven't listened to your other podcast, on Doctor Who, the name on to be praised. Oh, yes. With Go and Jackie. listen to the Dominators episode. That's particularly good. That's a good one, yeah. I think you had a, a quite a good guest on that one. Mm, yeah. um, but you also did the trial of Stephen Moffat. Oh, a five-hour epic. A five-hour epic. <laughs> two episodes. Was, um, did you get through all that? I got through all that, yeah. Oh, bless you. Um, where your lovely co-host Jack was defending Stephen Moffat and you were prosecuting yeah. And you introduced a, a bit of evidence, which was basically the <laughs> the whole basis of your case was based around one particular story. And you said, this story has got all the things that I am going to dislike about Stephen Moffat and his writing and his era. And this is just going to be, you know, build my case around this one story. What was what that story? What story was that, Fraser? What was it? What was it again? Oh, I think it might have been Time of the Doctor. It was Time of the Doctor. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So when uh, you yes, said, I did. It, uh, yes, and I still do not disagree with that point that this does have every insulting trope of the Moffat era that I dislike all jammed into one festive special. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting to talk about. Hmm. Or we've never done a Christmas special before, have we? We've not. No. So I've got a double whammy question for you. Oh, 
one, where does this fall in your new series regeneration episodes, sort of mm-hmm. ranking-wise? And two, where does this fall in your Christmas special ranking? Ooh, right. We'll start with Christmas, because that's possibly a little bit easier. It's probably middle, middle of the stack. Um, obviously, okay. um, I've just listened to you and Jack discussing the Husbands of River song. Mm. Um, and you made a very good point there, which I 100% agree with in that, which is that the Stephen Moffat Christmas specials are better than the Russell T. Davies Christmas specials because Stephen Moffat Christmas specials are Christmas yeah. specials, whereas Rusty's are specials that just so happen to be set at Christmas. Yes. elements but they are he embraces of... christmas for yes for good or for ill for good last christmas for ill you know what yes for the widow and the wardrobe <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there yes so um for me obviously um doctor and the widow in the wardrobe is top of the pile for that followed by husband what, that's song. your favorite christmas special yeah well, doctor in the wardrobe yeah i always thought you were a bit strange but Honestly, yeah. I didn't realize we were working on this level. It's just, it is a proper Christmas special, though. It's, you know, when you when you talk about like a Christmas special, if you go back to like when you were growing up and Christmas specials were a proper thing, you know, even before that, you had like the Morecambe and Wise Christmas special, and it was a show, but mm. it was special. There was something special about it. Things like um, Only Fools and Horses, it would be like special. So they would take the trotters and like take them to Miami or something like that. It would be like, the same show but special something special about it and i think doctor widow in the wardrobe fits that bill really well because it's you know it's the doctor with without rory and amy or a comp or one of the normal companions i mean that's um, a relief yeah stop it um put into you know a, a, a christmasy situation and you know the story happens and it's it's just a little bit more special it's got one of my favorite scenes in the whole of doctor who in it Oh, as well, I look forward to doing that one with you because I really love that episode as well. Yeah. So I'm sure you'll bring lots of uh, positive yes. things. Have you ever seen Invasion of the Dinosaurs? Yes. Have you seen that bit where the Doctor puts like 15 sugars in his tea, <laughs> then drinks it? That's how I feel when I watch Doctor Widow in the Wardrobe. You know that my teeth <laughs> are rotting at how saccharine it is. Anyway, sorry. What about um, regeneration? You want Christmas? You want chocolate at Christmas? You want sweets? You want sugar oh, plums and? I- it's like me taking the piss. I genuinely fell asleep when that was on. It's the first time, the only time I've ever fallen asleep during the Doctor Who episode. Live. Do you want to know, to know which one I fell asleep? Oh, go on. Heaven said. Nope. Uh, is it Moffat or Rusty Davis? It's Moffat. Oh, is it a Moffat script? No. Oh. Uh, oh, Sleep No More. That's the one. Ah, <laughs> oh, the irony. <laughs> the irony, yes. <laughs> yes, I dropped off watching that one. Go on first yeah. watch. Very boring. Well, what about in terms of regeneration stories of the new series? Um, so it either comes. I mean, there's five, isn't there? There's got five now. We've got power of the part of the ways, right? Part of the ways, end of time, time of the doctor, twice upon a time, and power of the doctor. Mm-hmm. So, if I was going to rank them, I would say power of the doctor number one, mm-hmm. by far the best. I wouldn't disagree. Oh no! Wait! Yeah. Oh no! I'd say I'd say part of the doctor's number one. Part of the ways. Part of the ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. So part of the doctor number one. Um. Then comes either end of time or time of the doctor. 
Wow. They're very, very similar. That's an unusual opinion. Do you acknowledge that? Yeah, that is an unusual opinion because I don't think people really rate Time of the Doctor or The End of Time. I think, I mean, both of these are setting out to do something very specific. So both End of Time and Time of the Doctor are setting out to do something really specific, which is to see their Doctor off. Okay. To see, you know, so, um, Power of the Doctor is doing that as well and does it a lot better, um, in my opinion. I think part of the way is... Um, it's got a lot of issues um, in terms of the plot, the script. Um, I would say as a two-parter, um, sort of like Bad Wolf and Partner of the Ways, I think the first sort of half an hour is utterly disposable. Um, oh, I love it, though. And I think the last 10 minutes is just, you know, everything in between, don't get us wrong, is solid gold. And it's solid. Oh, yeah, Russell T. Davies gold. Bad Wolf, Partner of the Ways, that's in my top 20. Doctor yeah. stories. I absolutely fucking adore that. So that's a, that's an interesting opposing view. Uh, so so you I don't even time, know it would make... time the doctor. And what's next? Um. So part of the ways, and then followed up with twice upon a time. That's right at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a nothing in it. That one. I mean, it's 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 harmless. It is, and it's it's. But you can tell it's just kind of like a bolted on story at the end. It's, you know, that um, Peter Capaldi's Doctor should have went with the Doctor Falls. That was the perfect opportunity for him. To and, and the plan as well, wasn't it? Generate. And yeah, yeah. But then obviously Stephen Moffat's had to come up with another story. So it's very much a sort of like appendix, as it were, mm -hmm. to to the tale of 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 the 12th doctor um and for all that you know one element of a story shouldn't distract you from everything else it's really hard to get over the characterization of the first doctor Fraser, what you need is a jolly good smack bottom all right well you need to make that joke once and then just drop it you you know the fact that i, I think in terms back, of misremembered characterization that's probably the yeah. most famous example. Uh, he was never an old-fashioned, grumpy old... He was. Yeah, but he was so charming as well. And he fun. was. There was there was that element to him. You see it in sort of like the sensorites where he's very... Or he wants to be very controlling over Susan. You know, you see it with the infamous smack bottom line in, in sort of like the Dalek invasion of Earth. So there was that element of his character, but that wasn't his whole character. What about the chase? Awful noise. I could charm the birds from the trees. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, things like that, you know, things like these, the how he is in the Romans and sort of the space oh, museum. Boy. That is, that's a much better um, sort of representation of, of how the, the first Doctor was. But Moffat seems just to be honing in on that one one element of his character, which is a, which is a misstep. Um, so yeah, things just don't quite quite come together in that one for me in the same way that they do in the other ones. Well, before we try and dissect this, can I just briefly explain mm -hmm. why I dislike this so much? Are you shocked? Because we need to be done by a certain time. Remember, <laughs> shut up, you. <laughs> uh, it's because I really don't like this everything but the kitchen sink approach. And it's too, too. Have you ever read a novel by Dave Stone? No. Have you heard of him? 
I, I don't think I have. He wrote for the New Adventures and he wrote for the BBC books. And I always used to say his books are too, too, because mm-hmm. they're too funny, too witty, too silly, too... Everything's taken to an absolute extreme. Yeah. And I feel like that's what happens here. And that Moffat approach of trying to distracts you every like minute or so with something new without actually building a coherent story or if it is coherent it doesn't feel it because you're being dragged in 500 directions i feel like it reaches its nadir here and he's got so much he wants to do because he's got to tie up matt smith because he wants a fresh slate for peter capaldi so he's literally got to tie up a load of arc elements I would say unsatisfactorily, but in the same breath, he wants to tell an epic story. So he throws in the Daleks and the Sidemen and the angels and the Santarans and, and there's a shopping list goes on and on and on and the silence and everybody. Yeah. But he also wants to tell an intimate story. So he's got the doctor on Christmas and, mm-hmm. and so he's doing that, but he also wants to tell a comedy story. So he's got Clara popping in, trying to cook her Christmas dinner at the same time. And it's just, for me, it's just too much. I'm just like any one of those stories would have been fine and yeah that, that rusty davis idea and he didn't do it either because the end of time is a self-indulgent mess as well i love the end of time part two but it is self-indulgent mm-hmm. that idea that he was originally going to have of telling a really simple regeneration story on a spaceship with just like like a family yeah i was like that would be so refreshing after all of these regeneration stories that are bloated and utterly self-indulgent i get to the end of this i'm just exhausted I mean, it's, there's two types of regeneration stories, isn't there? Now, now that we've had the the new series, there's, you know, the Doctor gets out of trouble every time. Every story, Doctor gets into trouble, Doctor gets out of trouble until such time as you don't want the Doctor to get out of trouble and you need a new Doctor. So that's when the Doctor doesn't get out of trouble. That's when, you know, he falls off the um, the radar or when he only gets enough bat milk. But one, you know, that's that's the just like a normal story, which just so happens to have a regeneration at the end. I think of things like Logopolis and Kids are good kind of foreshadowing that. But you've got the other one, which is the epic sort of the Doctor is leaving now. Time of the Doctor, where they are, the whole story is kind of building up to this this moment at the end. So I think for this one, that's the story that Moffat wants to tell. You know, he's he's interested. That's the story, and that's the only story he's only interested in. You know, building the eleventh Doctor up to a particular moment where, you know, he dies the hero. I say die, he regenerates, being the hero. So I think that's the story that he's he's trying to tell. Um, the way he goes about it, you know, because he's got an hour to get there. So the plot is very thin. It is just literally the doctor in a village you know trying to get to that end so the elements that he throws in the whole things with daleks and cybermen and silence and everything is just uh it's it's the gravy really it's sort of like you know meat and potatoes is you know the doctor sacrificing himself for the villagers or whatever but you know the gravy that we get to keep us going to that point is sort of like the comedy bits for clara and the fancy bits that we are going to discuss very soon, people. I promise. We we will we will. Um, Fraser, what I'm going to do as well is because I've 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 not lost you to a point where I can't put this out, but 
we're having some internet issues and it's my end and i think it's because it's on calls downstairs so i'm going to get my phone and hook my data to the computer because i okay. think that's going to give us a, a clearer signal um so give me just one second and i've got one quick point and maybe we'll go in all right How do I do this? Nathan told me the other day to do like a personal hotspot or something. Ah, yes. Uh, yeah, it's actually it's already it's already there. Oh man, I'm already enjoying this. Okay, uh, da, 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 where am I? Joe, 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 Joe's phone. No. Glass of water. Ah, there I am. Okay. There we go. That actually already looks a bit sharper. Usually that already looks. Vimto. Eh? I'm usually powered by Vimto when I do these, but I've... oh, I love Vimto. Vimto lollets, so... They do lovely Vimto lollies at work. Oh yes. Um, I was going to say. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but and yeah, and I think that is my problem. Is is he has got to fill an hour, so he yeah. fills it with a load of fluff. I personally don't find it very funny, any of it. And it's all quirks. And you know me, I don't like all these <laughs> weird eccentric quirks that Moffat does all the time. I think he can be incredibly focused, and he's a genius writer. And I said this in the Husbands of River Song, and when he's yeah, yeah. he he's fucking brilliant. He's a brilliant, yeah. brilliant writer. And when he's self-indulgent, it's just a bit of a mess um and the biggest problem with time of the doctor is it comes after day of the doctor which is such a beautifully yeah. honed script it is plotted to the hill the character work yeah. is exceptional and i think series 7b suffered because a lot of time went into day, day of the doctor was a script he had to get right this was a script yeah. that was going to be simulcast around the world and seen by everybody so this is that's where all his energy needed to be and basically this is the dregs of his creativity and energy after day of the doctor's been done but it, I, I, if you think this is a strong then i will disagree on that point no no it's i won't, I won't say it's as strong as, as day of the doctor but i think um you know the dregs is a bit <laughs> i can't agree with that i can't agree that there's you know, there is there's still a few good sort of fresh ideas in here. I'd do anything to get an Orphan 55 reference into a story, you know. Pete Lambert's <laughs> probably this. Well, should we, should we watch the thing and see how we get off? Yes. Go on then. Otherwise, we will be here all day. If there's anyone, you know, that I'd, I'd rather disagree with, I haven't found them yet, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's only I um, I shall allow you to. Uh, a five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Do you know what? I love this sound that it opens with. Whoop, it's whoop, great, whoop. isn't it? Whoop, whoop, whoop. As soon as you listen, you sort of like your hairs on the back of your neck stand up and you're like. Mm. So, where do you rank this then in, in terms of regeneration specials? Um, It's my least favorite regeneration story of yep. the new series. And. Oh, it is my second least favourite Christmas special after The Doctor of the Witch and the Wardrobe. 
<laughs> Sorry. Yeah, haven't we done this before with all the spaceships coming together? I swear we did this over Stonehenge once. We did, yes. <laughs> this is I like, I like this. Is walking it a homage? A walking into a Dalek ship with a Dalek high stalk. Oh, in a minute, right, we get introduced to handles. handles. And I think that's the best of this episode. Because the one <laughs> emotional beat that I really felt when I watched this last week was when handles expires. Oh, no. That's so sad, isn't it? That's so sad. So, yeah. So are we just repeating things then, do you think? Well, I don't know. It's either him sort of looking back and saying, right, let's celebrate everything we've done. Maybe. And I'm I'm being kind there. Or it's he's, he's our ideas a bit. And he's just he, he wants to go for the epic. So he's like, right, uh, well, let's bring in every Doctor Who monster again. You know. Alex Santarin's Terraleptal Slitheen. There was only so, one. I swear that isn't the line even in Pandora Opens. Doesn't she say that? She's like, oh my God, they're all amassing around <laughs> Stonehenge. Yeah. And she lists a load of classic series monsters. I think it's fine. I think it's, it is, it does give it that sort of epic, epic feels a bit of like shorthand for, for epic, isn't it? You know, we'd, we'd had, by the time we got to Pandora, we'd had um, Daleks and Cybermen together, but we hadn't had any other kind of monster on it so then anybody throws all of them out there and Daleks and Cybermen and Autons. So know, I thought it was like... beautifully done in the Pandorica Opens. I still think that's one of his best yeah. ever episodes. Um in terms of like culminating a season, I think Pandorica Opens uh, opens is probably unbested. Um but here I don't know it just it, I, I'm gonna keep saying the word indulgent I think do you know, I don't like his costume in Series 7B. I loved his costume yeah. in Series 5, that sort of ramshackle look he had. Like like the little boy dressing like an old man and failing yeah. dismally. Now, the Americans are watching, and he's all very tailored. I think it's fine. I think it's... I, I, I see what you mean, you know. It's, um, it's you know, as if you put, like, Troughton in a dinner suit, isn't it? Yeah, you know, that would you'd, you'd lose a little bit of something, but he needs to go he's... back in the rough and tumble machine, doesn't he? But I think you know when when you see him in, you know, it's, it's introduced in the snowman, you know, and you have that that feel that that's how he's dressing. He's dressing appropriately for the time. You know, he's got his crumpled top hat and he's got the waistcoat and the tie and the shirt and whatnot. And um, you know, when he goes into the the TARDIS and we see that the new TARDIS interior the first time and you see like the full sort of effect of that of a new TARDIS new suit um I think that really works that's such a lovely Christmas well, why are we watching that one instead that bit where they go up the staircase into the clouds is just beautiful now look we're already repeating the gags here we've had him going into a Dalek sh ship with a bit of Dalek now he's gone into a Cyberman ship with a Cyberman head <laughs> why waste a good gag why well, repeat a terrible gag? Do you think oh. that's a, a flaw of Stephen Moffat's writing then that he does tend to repeat himself a bit? Yeah and no, because I think sometimes he takes ideas that haven't quite worked and he perfects them sometimes. Mm -hmm. And other times I think he takes ideas that he's already done really well and exhausts them. What would you say was a good example of him perfecting an idea? Oh my word! Um, but um, but um, but um, but um, but um, let me come back to you. I'll have to delve into my into my brain and think about that. 
I mean, I feel like like the sort of non-linear narrative. I feel like that just got a bit tiresome after a while. I think mm-hmm. he probably got it at its best in the Pandorica opens and the Big mm-hmm. Bang. That sort yeah. of jumping about all over the place. Well, that was the, the beauty of that. It was it wasn't just jumping about all over that place. It was jumping about the whole place. It was jumping about the whole series um, and whatnot. I think for me, oh. it is a bit of a bit of a problem because we do see things like um, how he treats the Daleks, where he just can't leave the Daleks alone. Well, he's trying to do. I don't think he's that interested in the Daleks. He's not. He's born with Daleks. So he tries to do parliaments and things like that, and psychology into the Dalek. Yeah, but none of it really sticks, does it? Now you would think that I would absolutely love a sequence with Matt Smith in the bus. Yeah, Yeah. that's what distracted us there. Because I remember when I was watching last week, and I just had my hand over my eyes, going, "Oh, what is this?" And then. He d- later on he does Matt Smith ball doesn't he, he does. it's like how many quirky things can I do in this episode well, I think this scene is just brilliant I love this scene where you know <laughs> this is the way that the rest of the cast are playing the fact that the doctor's in the nip but he's got his clothes on is he wearing a wig in this all the way through he is wearing a wig in this yes all the way through all the way through because he'd um, he went good, off to make it? Terminator Genesis I'll and tell you why I like this scene because Sheila Reed's in it, and I think Sheila Reed's wonderful. And boy, oh boy, if Moffat gave a shit about the families of his companions, and I know he weren't doing that, and that's fair enough. But she could have been amazing if she'd have returned. Yep, yeah. because yeah. she's a great yeah. actress. And I can't help but notice that Clara's dad is played in pure neighbor's style, played by a completely <laughs> different actor. So when we saw him about five episodes ago, what happened there? Well, he's obviously had to grow older a little bit, hasn't he? And maybe her her first dad was super hot. Hmm. Yeah, that would have yes, been nice to see him again. People people get old. Do you know that's what oh, happens? People get people get old and they get played by different actors. Can I say another thing that annoys me? Oh, there's quite a few things that annoy me in this, but I don't like the fact as well that we've got things have changed for Clara. But mm-hmm. there's no kind of acknowledgement that things have changed. So she, where's Andy, Angie and Artie gone? Why isn't she nannying anymore? Why is she suddenly a teacher? Like none of this is not. We're just supposed to just sort of catch up, you know, every time we see her. Because it's not important to the story. But it's more to the character. But the story is about the Doctor, not Clara. Is and... it? I thought that there's some emphasis on Clara in this, isn't there? There is. There is. I mean, Clara's important, but ultimately the story that we're telling in this episode is the Doctor. It's the end of the 11th Doctor. And there is, you know, there's points coming up where we are going to be potentially shoehorning plot elements in, where we are going to be, like, wrapping up things and and whatnot. And, you know, this episode comes in for criticism because of that. So do you think perhaps if we did have more of Clara in saying, oh, well, yeah, Artie and Angie have gone off to college now and blah, 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 would that not also fit into that category of, you know, wrapping up too much in one go? Oh, maybe. No, I would like those explanations as those things hit in the previous episodes of just like, oh, yeah, I'm not a nanny anymore. I'm working in a school now, you know. But we've only had two more episodes since then. If you think Nightmare Silver goes into the name of the Doctor, goes into the day of the Doctor, goes into this one, so we haven't in the in the arc of the season had that opportunity to then, you know. I just was like, every time I saw her, I was like, "Hang on, what? 
I thought she was a nanny. Like, I thought she was <laughs> living in. Oh, she's got her own house now. What's going on? Yeah, so... But, like, in different. Series 8, I think he realises, actually, he hasn't... One, he hasn't sketched in her character particularly well. Two, he hasn't been explaining what's going on in her life very well. So suddenly we get this very condensed character arc of her meeting Danny Pink, and it is all explained. And do you know what? I like it, it a lot better. I do like it a lot better. It is. But, again, I think we need to get the context. <clears throat> you know, we are watching this on the 30th of January. Um. 2023 so this came out i can't believe you have to look at the year then i know um <laughs> you know this is so we're tiny to kind of you know nine years after this has been have i done that maths right nine years after this has been broadcast we're sitting mm -hmm. down and watching it <clears throat> individually okay when we watched it the first time we would have had the whole series 7b arc leading up to this point so we would have had how many episodes? Is it eight episodes? Yeah, it's not many. Yeah. yeah. So it's not many. We don't really have much time to set up a Clara that is going to pay off in this episode. Well, um, because obviously... of what, you remember the whole thing about Series 7B was she was the impossible girl and yeah. a big mystery. They couldn't tell anything about her. So exactly. She was basically written as generic companion. Yeah, absolutely. So she's, she's a plot point more than anything in, in 7B. But having said that, there is, you know, elements of a character going in there um you know you have the start of rings of akaten where she, we get her backstory with her mom and dad the old dad as it were not the new one we'll get here who's older i'm getting confused um, so we we do have things kind of sprinkled about and i know obviously if this was a russell t davies series that would be emphasized a lot more and would have a lot more element of that but yeah maybe i just got used to that approach and I, that's, that's my preferred approach and that's the problem i think well i think that's it depends again on what story you want told do you want the story of the companion and their family in there and how they how that relates with the doctor or do you want the story of the doctor and how he relates with his companion. I mean, in the pile of the ways, it's every bit Rose's story as it is the Doctor's, even though it's Chris Reckleson's last story. The emphasis is as much on Rose. And I actually would have preferred this if we were following Jenna Coleman a bit more than we were following the Doctor. It's 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 what yeah. every preference is, isn't it? It yeah. is. It is. For me, I think that wouldn't work nearly as much because, like you say, we haven't, got enough of Clara for that to be interesting. You know, when we get to Partner of the Ways, you know, the, the good bit of Partner of the Ways is when, um, you know, the Doctor thinks that Rose has been zapped by the android, you know, and his reaction to that, and then Rose's reaction to being left behind by the Doctor and having to kind of... Oh, Jesus, that is gold. That is dra dramatic yeah. gold, that sequence. Um, yeah, so that's kind of... That works because we've had sort of 12 weeks building up to that of, of the Doctor and Rose... And their relationship, you know, we don't have enough of that, I think, for Clara, for this to be a Clara-centric episode. And I don't think Moffat wants to tell that no, story. No, he doesn't. He, he, wants, he, to tell he wants to write Doctor Who about the Doctor, doesn't he? Like, that, yeah. that is his thing. Um, can but I... What he's, oh, sorry, no, go What on. he is doing, he, he is still giving us those elements of Clara, though, because, you know, it could just be, okay, everything happens on Trenzalore, but no, we do get back to Earth, and we do see Clara's family, and we have... Um, a lovely scene coming up with um, the stepmom where she's just been a, an atrocious person. She's a know. nothing character, though, isn't she? Like, she she's, is literally yeah. a you know, cliche. You, yeah, but, you know, you, you're getting that sort of 
interaction you have, like the um the bit the the lovely scene with with the nan telling her how she met her husband and, and you when know, the nan comes back just... in dark water when Danny yeah. Pink dies, just for that one scene. <clears throat> it's the one point where I really felt that Clara <clears throat> had like a, a connection with her family. It's such yeah. a lovely scene. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, it's, it's not the focus of Moffat's storytelling. The focus is very much mm. more on the Doctor. And, you know. And if I'm honest, like more, I, I do think he does focus more on the plot. than the character. Now, he can do good yeah. character work, but he is more interested in plots. Yes, I think he's, he's more of a plot-driven storyteller than a so that is absolutely going to determine how you approach his work whether you yep. are, whether you're in his characters like me or yep. whether you're in his plots like you yeah yeah i mean i think i mean i wouldn't say i'm not interested in characters but you know no. it's, it's about how do you start how do you tell your story do you tell your story through plot or do you tell them through characters you know you can't do one i mean david's proved you can do both both approaches work and can be successful to to more or less a degrees. I mean, you know, you'll hear me time and time again complain about uh, a Deus ending in a Russell T Davies um, story because that really does kind of take me out. You know, when we get to that point and you think there was a better way of wrapping this up. But then you'll hear me complain about mm -hmm. a terrible Stephen Moffat season ending, like that yeah. dreadful Tessa Lecter twist in Wedding River Song, or a dreadful hybrid twist at the end of series nine i'm like well all that build up and promise for this like yeah um yeah. we skipped entirely over river song clone tasha lem who's been on the screen now for a while played by the fantastic actress orla brady who's recently yes. been in star trek picard yes playing an irish romulan oh she's fabulous in that you know she, is. she was she's flirting away with patrick this. stewart well i just think she is basically river song in this yeah, I mean, at one point she's very clearly River Song, and that's the point where she does the thing that I really don't like people doing, which is flying in the TARDIS. Doing what in the TARDIS? Flying the TARDIS. Oh, okay. Don't like she's flirting in the TARDIS. Flying. There's plenty of that. No, I don't like it when I think the Doctor flies the TARDIS, and whenever like Adric or Turtle does it, it's like, no, mate, it's not your, it's not your wheels. You better hold on to your hat, Fraser Gregory, because I'm about to say something complimentary about Time of the Doctor. On there, as then. much as I do not like the shopping list of monsters that are in this, and I do think it's self-indulgent, I do think this sequence with the angels is very well filmed. And in yeah. fact, it's a new way of doing it in the snow, in that their yeah. vision is obscured. Unfortunately, I still think I think there could have been a whole story around this as well. I don't think they could, to be honest. Oh, you could um, do the angels in a in a snowy setting. It would oh, be brilliant. angels in a snowy setting. Yeah, you could. You could. not this story. I don't think this story. I don't think you could have just the angels in this story i want to get your perspective on something that was said to me yesterday by the marvelous luke malloy as we watched a load of stephen moffat episodes and so in his opinion and i do agree with him that rusty davis is making television for the masses and stephen moffat is making television for doctor who fans and i don't disagree with that assessment and i think this is a really good example of that all of these monsters all of this arc stuff, like it feels, and it feels to me like 80s Doctor Who, just a ton of continuity lumped on. And I, I can see why people got a bit tired of it, if I'm honest, as we sort of move on. Yeah. I don't get me wrong, there's still innovation. There's tons of it. And fuck me, there is ambition. 
yeah. think he's the most ambitious writer Doctor Who's ever had. Yeah, I think that's a very good point from Luke, um, and I can see why. I can see where where that fits in. I think Russell, you know, and he's showing this at the minute that he is very much um, a showman. You know, he is he is not just about let's put something on the television and make it good. He is very much about the brand, and you know how that gets sold nationwide and worldwide. And you know, he's in bed with Disney now. He's in bed with Sony. He's very, you know, much he's talking. His about. fingers on the pulse. Well, his fingers on pies. It's in pies, mm-hmm. and fingers. I don't want to know where Rusty Davis's fingers are. All right, stop it. Um, <laughs> I'll wait for so, that. You know, he's got the spin-offs going. So that is very much, you know, what he's about. He's he's not so much just about making Doctor Who for the masses. He's about as, as a big brand. Um, Stephen Moffat, just for Doctor Who fans? I don't necessarily think just for fans, but I think what he does is he's looking out to reward the regular viewer. So not just the fan, you know, like me and you who were going to give up a morning to come and sit and talk about Doctor Who, but, you know, he's he's looking to reward the people who watched last year and the year before and, you know, kind of building that up. So, yes, he's going to give us a, an episode where, you know, he's going to throw in a, a few angels, he's going to throw in a few Santarans because he's he trusts that the... Um, the viewing public are going to be on board with that and go, oh, yes... Santarans from last Christmas. That's the comedy potato from last Christmas, and it's the angels from from the year before, and, and that each that and the other. But I think you can also level that at Russell T Davies as well, because you know when he first started out, it was very much you know the continuity elements were very much sprinkled. Very the first series, you know. Yeah, you had Autons and you had Daleks, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, you go into the second series, you have Daleks and you have Cybermen, and that's it. You know, it's very just, you know, yeah. new, new, new stories, <laughs> new monsters, so on and so forth. But you kind of get to the end, though. You get to the end of season three, and the Master's coming back, and that's a lot more for a casual viewer to take in. Who's the Master? Who's? But he does take the time to reintroduce him to a new audience. He- he does, and he throws, but he throws in the sort of nuggets for the fans as well. And then you get to the end of end of time, and Gallifrey is coming back, and it's all yeah. By well, that, that point, Fraser Gary Russell's involved at that point, of course. Yeah. <laughs> by that point, it is it's very Moffaty because you know by that point, if you haven't kept up with the last four years, you know what's a Gallifrey, what's a Time War, what's a Nightmare Child, what's you know who's this, you know. This but I think I think from last series. I think Rossi Davis celebrates what he created. Like in Journey's End, the end of Journey's End is a successive number of scenes of characters that he has created yeah. saying goodbye, and that happens at the end of the end of time as well. Because I yeah. think in this, it ain't all this stuff that's built up throughout the era. It's just yet yeah, we'll throw in the Cybermen, we'll throw in the Daleks, we'll throw in the Angels, we'll throw in the Sontarans, we'll throw in you know. So it is. Yeah. Just continuity. I don't get me wrong. It's nice to see these monsters, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would say it's not continuity. I think it is just the you know, the steps on the journey towards I mean, look at this. I'm sorry, the seal of Rassilon from the five doctors. Come on. Yeah. Talk about a deep dive. That's for the fans. I'll absolutely yeah. give you that. But <laughs> at the so time at the same time, so is Roger Delgado's voice when Derek Jacobi opens 
Oh, marvellous. The pocket watch. You know, there's the sprinklings, you know. What your, about your... all the way from Metabolis Free? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But do you know what Luke's point there's, was? There's nuggets like that all the way through. And I think there's but there's nuggets all the way through Russell's era as well. And that's that's the way to do it because you're kind of going... You know, something like the Seal of Rassilon, no one's going to watch this this scene and go, well, the Seal of Rassilon, I don't know what that's about, and oh, I'm not going to watch this anymore, and it takes us out. It's just, it's an Easter egg, isn't it, more than anything else? It's like, oh, it's the Seal of Rassilon and the Five Doctors. <laughs> and, but, like, your, your wife's sitting next to you going, what? <laughs> what the hell? But Luke's Why are you excited with, about the with... coaster? Uh, Moffat writing for Doctor Who fans was that he liked that approach because even though it might have been slightly inaccessible for regular viewers and it did hemorrhage viewers as it went on um, it meant that it was pushing the show in ambitious and interesting and dark and creative areas that perhaps it probably shouldn't have gone in but are worth absolutely worth discussing like really substantial ideas and um Whereas Rusty Davis's time, where he's doing things like, I don't know, Agatha Christie pastiches and, yeah. you know, uh, J.K. Rowling pastiches, it's absolutely accessible to the general audience. And, and they lapped it up because it's all kind of st- stuff that's in the zeitgeist that, that they can get behind. But perhaps it's a little more generic and less interesting to watch and discuss as a Doctor Who fan. It was a really, it was interesting. I I, I don't disagree with him. Yeah. And I do think Moffat did, he kind of poked a torch into dark corners and things like that. I'm just not sure I like yeah. what came scurrying out is all. I think, I think Russell did as well. Russell, you know, and I've said this, you know, many, many times before on other podcasts and other hamsters, um, is that Russell is a drama writer. And drama queen, taking it back to sort of like you know the classic sort of Greek theater. You know, you had two, or like Shakespeare, you have comedies, you have tragedies, you know. And Russell T. Davis is a tragedy writer, Mm. he's a drama writer. Stephen Moffat is a comedy writer, and by that, I don't mean he's a sitcom writer, that he's you know, he's just writing gag after gag. What I mean is that you know, I mean, he is, he is. (laughs) <laughs> Russell writes funny lines as well. Oh, but for sure. But the story that they are telling is very diff- is is different as much as that. The characters suffer under Russell and they don't under Moffat. Are you kidding me right now? When Bill has a massive hole blown in her, she gets better though. She gets- I'm sure it hurt at the time. Yes, and then she gets a plastic chest, gets in into a Cyberman, which Clara is all... has a massive crow go for her chest. And she gets better. Oh no, that's why we can't take it any serious. Yeah. There wasn't any danger in this but, in this era. And this is the, but this is how this is the story that Moffat's telling is one where you know it's a, more of a happy ending. You know, um, yeah. if that was Russell, you know, he wouldn't. Well, first of all, he wouldn't put have that happen to his characters because he wouldn't. Want he can to kill give them characters a happy ending. He can. He gave, he gave Donna ultimately a happy ending with the lottery oh. ticket and all of that. No, of course he did. In oh. end of time, and anyway, she's coming back. He's going to correct that. Whatever you think about that, we'll see. We'll see what happens because ultimately, I was. I think what he did with Donna was terrible. I think um, what he did with ten percent of the population of the Earth was pretty awful. In Sound of Drums, I mean, he's a vicious bastard, Russell T. Sometimes they did get better though, so don't forget that. Well, but, yeah, all right, yeah, that's fair. But they did remember. But was, that's what I liked about that. Yeah, 
what you will do though is you know the side characters will will suffer so you know i mean donna suffers because donna um you know ultimately knows the what's going to happen she's going to have a memory wipe and she's going to stop being a nice person because she hasn't got a man in her life anymore Oh, then <laughs> um, that's Rose, a very particular reading of that season. Rose um, suffers because she doesn't have the doctor, so she's left in a temple, an alternative universe. So it's it, she's alive, but she's you know she's suffering basically. Um, you know, you look at the side character. So Kylie Minogue. I mean, excuse me, you skipped right over Martha there, who made a choice to say, "Oh, you fuck off, I'm going." Yeah, yeah, and then she ends up married to bloody Noel Clark. Well, she ain't married to the actor. She's married to the character. <laughs> well, she's married to Mickey then. Um, uh, it's very tricky, you know, you know watching season one now of all everyone that's been cancelled, uh, isn't it? <laughs> um, but again, you know, it's, it's it's an ending for Martha. Is it necessarily a happy ending? It's it's probably the happiest one. It's probably the the best of the endings that we get. Um, but you but... Know, do you prefer these endings of Bill no. going off as with a puddle? And Clara no. going off in a diner. I mean, it's no. just—I don't know what to feel about those endings. I think you, you. I mean, it. Russell does exactly the same with with Doomsday, doesn't he? Because it all starts with, um, you know, the, the I'm Rose Taylor, and this is the story about the day I died. It's like, you're not dying, Rose. You don't die. They love doing a you bit know, of that, though, don't they? Your your boyfriend's took off you, but that's not the same. Um, so there is that fair, sort of... You kill off Danny Pink and keep him dead. He did. He did. He was so boring. We were all relieved about that. No, he wasn't. No. <laughs> but... We've skipped over huge swathes of this story here, you know. We'll come back to it in a minute. So, so <laughs> I think what we're showing, though, is that, you know, Stephen Moffat and Russell T. Davies are... Because we've talked just about, about Russell as we'll have Stephen. Mm. And I think what that shows is that they are very, very similar writers. Similar, very similar. You know, they can write. I mean, this story for me is a very Russell story. It's got a lot of Russell T. Davis beats in it. You know, the plot, such as it is, the story, such as it is, is about the characters. So it is about the Doctor, and it I is would about feel more. I think I would feel more if Russell was writing this. Yes, but in terms of, you know, the story that's being told, it's a very Russell story, in which is. You know, the plot isn't as important as the characters are in this particular story. And it's probably fallen down for you because those characters aren't as well fleshed out. Um, but Stephen can do like a Russell story and kill off Danny Pink. So you can do it here. Russell can do more sort of like um, Stephen Moffat type tales. You look at like Love and Monsters where ultimately, you know, the... Oh, he gets um, sucked off by a paving slab. Exactly, you know. Whereas in that instance, letting her go would have been the better option. <laughs> wise. Oh, I don't know. Don't mock it till you tried it. All right. <laughs> not trying that, you <laughs> naughty, naughty well, man. I'm sorry, but do you know any anti paving slabs? I don't think you're going to be able to. <laughs> right. What have we missed then? What we've missed well, is well, welcome to Christmas. We've missed Tessa Pete Jones. We have. Yes, Raquel. another wasted guest actor. Ah, oh, no, no, no. She's in one scene. In a very good scene. She's fabulous actress, though. I want more yes. of her. So would, who would you rather cast in that role, then? Well, I'll give her one scene if that's all she's getting. But I'd rather she was in a whole episode. 
you know, I know, and I have made this joke about wasting guest actors, and I think absolutely, he, you know, Michael Gambon, Celia Emery, yeah. he can yeah, provide he can. great material, but he does like bringing in these fabulous actors for these two seat, two minute scenes. Well, exactly. I, I want more. That's the problem. Is I want if more. If you can get talent, great. get talent. You know, yeah, rather than saying, "Oh well, Olivia Coleman or Tessa Jones or whatever, or uh, Michael Sheen," you know, I'm just going to get them to do a bit part. So I'm not going to bother because the, the role's too small for them. It's like actually, there's a role. Go and do it. Then I've got fantastic cast. We've had a series of comedy scenes now of monsters attempting to invade Trenzalor. I do yes. like the wooden Cybermen. That's quite a nice. The wooden Cybermen's brilliant, isn't it? But the comedy Sontaran sticking out of the snow is not funny at all. <laughs> it's well, terrible. That's, that's just Strax in a nutshell. Yeah. What, terrible? It, 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 again, it comes back to this it's overuse. Charming. It's an overuse. At, at this point, we're getting things like Strax just completely overused. Is that oh, the joke worked once, so we'll bring him back, and we'll bring him back, and we'll bring him back, and we'll bring him back. And by the time you get what, to this bit, phrase over. After a newspaper at your end and you fell over, I'd laugh as well. It, <laughs> I would as well. I think he goes out on a high. Thankfully, um, but <laughs> it, it gets to that point where you just say, "Oh, not, not this again." What can I say though? I feel like the idea of the Doctor saying i'm going to stay on trends law and become an old man and yeah. protect these people that's very sweet and lovely and very doctorish absolutely and yeah. i like that what i don't like is the was oh, he protecting that crack is he protecting amy's crack i can't remember now it's no he's he's protecting the town because of the crack so and he's playing with the kids and a puppet show oh i'm the mm. doctor that's all very lovely and charming what i don't like is um the hideous an unconvincing old age makeup they put Matt Smith in, where he looks absolutely ghoulish come the end of the episode. Yes. I mean, I just don't want to look at him. And he's a pretty man. He looks old, though, doesn't he? Oh, he looks horrid. Oh, it's horrendous. But I did like these scenes between him and Clara. And I thought mm. I could actually feel a bit of warmth between the two of them in these scenes. Yeah. So, yeah, that's quite mm. nice. There you go. I can do so it. We've got. We've got Amy's crack there, haven't we? So this uh, is yes. Let's discuss Amy's crack. Let's talk about Amy's crack then. So cavernous, con- isn't it? <laughs> Stop it. So because this is this is the the element that's been brought back. This is the wrapping up of of stuff, isn't it? Mm. You know where mm. we've got um, the crack in the wall coming back. And we're trying to kind of explain what's behind the crack and whatnot. So, you know, is is this something that needed wrapping up? Did we need more crack in the wall? Probably not. But I tell you what, the moment where you see it, I got yeah. a tingle. And that's because it, it just reminded me of all those fabulous moments in series five every time the yeah. crack appeared. And, you know, that's doing a Rusty Davis arc there. Just yeah. a, a simple image of something that's really creepy. Um, yeah. sort of progressing throughout the season so it reminded me of like happier times yeah but no do we did we need uh, amy's crack to open to such an extent that we'd get pixie dust from gallifrey given the doctor but i mean don't you be telling me you ain't writing for doctor who fans <laughs> i mean it all gets a bit much in their climax doesn't it yeah i mean they're both, they're both writing for the fans i think um I mean that's that's the question then coming back to that then is you know should we 
be worried about the casual viewer? There's a yes. big question for you. Why? Well, Why no, I don't think we need to now on the streaming service because the numbers don't really matter anymore. They'll just make Doctor Who because it's making them money. Yeah. Uh, at this Should point, we? yes, the BBC would cancel the show if it wasn't getting the numbers. So should, should we be worried then about a popular Doctor Who or good Doctor Who? Um, Good Doctor Who. This so ain't if it. Good, if good Doctor Who is not popular... Is it a problem? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question because I, I'd say some of the most least popular moments in the show's history uh, where the ratings have dived, i.e. late McCoy and yep. late Patrick Troughton. Yep. Well, you've got the war games there, the Curse of yep. Fenrir, their greatest show in the galaxy, some of the best stories. Um, late Peter but the show well. faced the chop on those occasions, almost. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, look at that special did. effect of them standing on top of that bell tower. That's oh. really dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all models, isn't it? It's a lovely little model village. Of, Is it Mark uh, Tucker? Christmas. He, he generally does the models. Ooh, sure. things. Do you know? Yeah. Oh, there's something else I love about this story as well. May I say quickly? And that is um, the music by Murray Gold. Because I think the reprise of the long song at the end of this episode is absolutely gorgeous. Did I yes. lose you? Oh, I thought I lost yeah, you. you lost his... That's right. Go keep going. Lost this for a little bit, but... no, no, it's the reprise of the long song. I think it's yeah. brilliantly at the end of the episode. But um, the Gallifrey theme as well. Mm. When when the pixie dust comes out of the crack in the sky, or when the crack first appears, and it's like yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Oh, you know that kind of uh, chorus singing. Yeah, like Murray Gold, he he does get a bit samey. I mean, he's always good. But he does like reuse some cues as time goes on. But I think when he needs yeah. to, he can still knock it, can't he? But again, it's you know this is what you want from this story because this is end know, of an era. Is, it's the, it's but this is the end of the era story. It's not the mm. um, doctor gets out of trouble until he can't story. It's the end of the era story. So you want those throwbacks. You want you know you've had your, your Daleks are throughout, but you know you've had Cybermen back again, and you've had a new twist on them with the wooden Cybermen. You've had the Santarans, you've had the Angels. It stands to reason you're going to want those musical cues as well. That you're going to want, um, you know, the fact that it's, it's harking back to Tennant's time rather than just Smith's as well just adds a little extra, little extra bit of gravy, really. Mm. He's talking here about um, the graves of all the people that he's saved on Trenzanor and all of this. I'm yeah. not really sure how to feel about any of this, though, because I don't really know these people, and all I've seen is a quick montage of clips, and we've not really spent any great time with them. So I'm just like, all right, you're trying to make me feel about people that I've got no investment in whatsoever, and that's that's the 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 trick of of any of these stories, isn't it? Because you know you've got 45 minutes, you've got an hour to try and make someone feel something about something and that's where russell is is the king you know he will make you feel about linda with a Y, and then oh, brutally boy. murder her in know, i'm still talking about her you know all these know, years later all these years later um so it is we said he was is, a cruel beast didn't we yeah it's difficult but it's you know it's, it's part and parcel of of the format unfortunately that you've only got x amount of time to set it up and knock it down can I ask you, is there such a thing as a twist too far? Because this bit in a minute now, where Tasha Lem is revealed to have a Dalek eye stall coming out of her forehead, and the whole of the church was under Dalek control, 
I'm like, what is going on now? Like, what is this? No, I thought I think it's a good enough twist. I think. Um, Do we need it though? I thought the story was here. Why are we going up there? It's advancing the plot a little bit. You know, again, you know, we're kind of we're going to tie up some a few loose ends. We're going to go up there. We're going to have the whole um, explanation of the. Oh, I had that bit. We missed that bit where. No, oh, I think it's in a minute, isn't it? Where they sit around the table and talk about. Yeah, it's now. I think it's now. Um, and she goes on about Madame Kavarian yes. and the, the silence yes. chapter and all of this stuff that we don't really give a shit about anymore because we ditched that last mm. season. Yeah, so we're kind of wrapping it up. We're kind of getting an explanation of who the silence are. So do we need this? We don't need it, but does it take the way from the story? I think so. I think. Taking the Doctor away from Trenslaw rather guts that story that he can just come away and have this exposition dump and then dump him back into that story again. Yeah, and I think, but I don't think, you know, having taken this moment, taking an extra few minutes just to kind of say, oh, yeah, so the crack in the wall was caused by Madame Cravarian who took these confession aliens and went back in time and messed things up a little bit. And that's how that happened. Anybody that points at Chris Chibnall, me, and says that his exposition is terrible, well, this scene, I'm sorry. It's just a load of explanations about stuff that is nothing to do with this story at all. Is it the right scene, though? It's a very bizarre scene. Oh, yes, it is. Really? You know, it's it's in there. It's in addition to this scene. You know, you could take it out of this scene. This scene would still be there. It's not like they've specifically come up onto the ship just so they can explain... Um, but I don't think this scene is for the general audience that are tuning in to Doctor Who this week this scene is for Doctor Who fans that are paying attention to this bullshit it's it's an extra, it's an easter egg you know so like I say if you take this out you know the discussion around you know River Song around that you know you would still need the Doctor to come up at this point to see that Tasha Lem's been took over by a Dalek and the Daleks are now on the point of you know, declaring total war against planet Trenzalore. And then, do you know what? When we go back to the planet then, we never see Madame Kavarian again. We don't know what happens to her. Well, Amy did, I mean, didn't she? Did she? Yeah. No, 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 sorry, sorry. We never see Tasha Lem again, sorry. We do, we'll see her. Do we? Yeah, in the River Songwell. You watch. Oh, okay. All right. I'd forgotten about that bit. I was already switched off by this point. Because Moffat can do horror. Moffat can really, you know, he is a comedy writer, but he can also turn his hand to, to horror and, you know, scare you quite well. You know, you look at... Don't tell um, me you think that's good horror, that eye stop coming out of her head. I mean, that's comedy. But, the, you know, the, the lead up to that, they've sort of like, well, how did you stop them? Well, we didn't. It was it was totally slaughtered. Oh, yeah, slaughter. that's that. Well, why I didn't you call it? I did. I did. I died in this room. That's pure Moffat, that, that's, isn't it? I mean, that's a chilling line i that's, died in this room screaming your name that's um uh oh when did the tape stop oh a little while back he's standing there that's you're not looking at the yeah. age either are you you know yeah. he does those moments so brilliantly the clock's broken so what's that ticking noise yeah yeah, yeah 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 and again and again and again you know oh jesus i mean i watched listen yesterday and that had lots of little inversions oh, that's like that the, the thing on the bed fraser yeah that is that's probably one of the scariest moments in the whole of Doctor Who, that is. And the way it sort of rises up. Yeah. 
I'm talking about listen now, look. <laughs> Do you know, going back to Clara quickly, you know, I'll tell you yeah. what I think salvages Clara for me most of the time is Jenna Coleman. I just think she's such a good actress that whatever Clara's been written for this week, yeah. she'll she'll play it. It's not consistent, yeah. but it's always sort of believable because she's playing it. Yeah, and she obviously I think she does get a better work, you know, in season eight and nine when um she's kind of moving away from just being sort of like the generic companion and whatnot. But we're also getting it in here as well. You know, I think it's um you know we, we talk about who are the best sort of actors and actresses in, in Doctor Who and I've always said it's Louise Jameson. You know, oh, Louise Jameson yeah. is the best Fantastic. actor we've ever had. You know, if you put Louise Jameson and, and Jenna Coleman to at the tour, you know, I think one of the reasons why Louise Jameson is is the better actor is because she's not given as much to work with. You know, Jenna well, Coleman she has... fills in the gaps. Yeah. You know, mm. and Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman have such good material handed to them. That chemistry. Yeah. Boy, boy. That scene at and the don't... end of Kill the Moon. Exactly. Oh, exactly. But that is that's what I'm talking about. They are given that as a gift that's wrapped up with them and said, right, there you go, kids. Knock yourselves out. Make something magic out of that. And they do. They fly with it. And... But it's not a given that actors will have chemistry. No. Like, they've no, worked but... on that. It's not just the script. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, for someone like Louise Jameson, she's not given that. She's just given, there you go, generic companion. She has to fill yeah, in. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, she, she comes at Lila and goes, well, okay, this is a... Um, this is a savage, this is a hunter, so I'm going to be constantly looking around and I'm going to be, I'm not going to know how to sit on a settee and I'm not going to do contractions and, you know, that sort of thing. She fills... I so think Miss Slater does that as well. Talk about yeah, filling yeah. in the gaps and giving that very thin character some yeah. substance. But, you know, I don't want to take away from Jenna Coleman because, you know, even when she, like you say, when she's not given much to do, she is absolutely fantastic. And this... This story as well, you know, she's, um, you know, when she's left with Anan, you know, and she's having that the, you know, the Christmas and a whole sort of world is is falling away around her. She's she's absolutely selling it. But I do think it's interesting that both Stephen Moffat acknowledges when he wrote series eight that he really needed to focus Clara's character and yeah. actually give her a bit of a character. Oh, absolutely. And it Deep is. Breath is completely doing that. He's doing yeah. so much groundwork for her. And Matt Smith recently in an interview said that he thought the time of the doctor was, I can't remember how he worded it now. He was trying to be diplomatic, but he said, <laughs> We started really strong in series five and the last yep. episode, it wasn't very strong or something like that. He, I don't think he was too impressed with this. Which... So he gives it this much gumption is oh, he's, <laughs> good going. I mean, he's, he's knocking it out of the park. You know, he's he's bringing everything that you want from his doctor into into the story. You know, he's given you the, the sort of the sarcastic side. He's given you the... Um, the um, like the childish side, you know, the one that works so well for the kids. He's giving you that that sort of alien side of, um, I mean, we talk again right over at the start. I love that scene where we like, Clara's like, I'm your boy. Where he's like, you're my boyfriend. He's like, ding dong, I'll 
but, but with Steve Ball, look at the man. He was like, no, 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 I'm not reading. He's like, oh, this is a roller coaster. This, you know, he plays that sort of social awkwardness. You know, fantastic. I hate all that stuff, don't you? But it's, <laughs> I just don't it's, like that weird pervy angle with Clara and the Eleventh Doctor. You know, the whole yeah. skirt, all of that. I just don't like all that. I don't know. I like, I you know, I talk a lot with Nathan from FCE, and yeah. uh, he loves the Doctor being sexually voracious, but it just ain't for me. It's just not for me. And thank God they didn't do that with Capaldi. Well, exactly. Oh no! Except with River Song, the most romantic story of all time. Exactly, exactly. But you know, you've said many times, haven't you? There's a difference between sexualizing the Doctor and having a romantic Doctor. And I think that's that story sort of really proves your point, really. There, um, oh, thank you very much. Well, I've been doing that to me very often, honestly. Um, I love Clara's Nan here, where it says everything you need to th- know about these characters when the horrendous woman that the father's brought for dinner goes, Oh, they're poems in the crackers, and the nan goes, <laughs> Well, I like the jokes, you know. That's all you need to know about him, really. That's 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 doing a Rusty Davis telling characters yeah. in a very economic way. And she's oh, she's this got story a and she's, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just beautiful, isn't nice. it? And... Yeah, and this bit with the nan telling her. Yeah, it all seems just so well written. It's kind of I think we we're talking about it when it's no, we weren't. <laughs> yeah, look at her rolling her eyes. What a bitch! I honestly, know. I know, but it's... who invited her to dinner? She ain't even a looker. <laughs> Season, but, uh... So here we go. Here comes River Song. River Song? Yeah, here comes River Song. Hang on. Because the doctor's done the same thing. He's he's left her, sent her home in the TARDIS once with the TARDIS. He's got the TARDIS back. And we have he's... he's done it twice. We have done this a few times now, haven't we? we? Yeah. So then he's dropped her off again, you know, made I think that he's coming back she's come out the TARDIS and ran away and the TARDIS comes back and inside it's River Song uh, oh yeah sorry <laughs> i.e. Tashalem <laughs> Tashalem yeah so this is the scene this is what I'm saying is this is where I think this should have been River Song this feels very much like yeah. River Song should be popping up here it's not like it wouldn't she, work. she went back well no I mean, it'll be another element but to be fair River's been such a big part of this era exactly she's not part of this last yeah. story is yeah, a for... bizarre omission I mean, we can, we can do a whole other podcast on my thoughts on River Song. Um, but ultimately, I do feel that there is a River Song hole here. And that would fill it in, you know, if River Song just popped up in the TARDIS. Because that's that line is for River Song, you know. Um, you know, flying the TARDIS is easy. It's always been flying the Doctor. That's been a problem. That is such a River Song line. Um, in terms of the story... lines like there's a River Song hole. All right. I'm not taking the bait. Continue. You're looking for the bait. That's what it is. You're looking for it. <laughs> I don't have to look. <laughs> um, oh, this is kind of sweet as well. Yeah. Um, him making the toy, and the, I think the crack is light in the room, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh God! Oh, look at him. Gee, do you know what he reminds me of? Do you remember that that weird pervy second Mister Grace? From are you being served when the <laughs> when cute old Mr. Grace died? That's what he looks like. He's still wearing Amy Pond's glasses, isn't he? Oh, that's sweet. I like that. And in fact, do you know what? It's it's a bit unfortunate for Clara when Amy comes low at the end and steals the moment. <laughs> oh. But if Amy hadn't have been in this, now that yeah. would have been a very strange omission. 
Yeah. Yeah, he's, um, but do you know what? There's this. I've got to say, Fraser, this sequence in the second there where he climbs the top of the tower uh, with his hideous makeup and starts throwing out regeneration energy like some Marvel character destroying Dalek armies. I, I feel this might fun, be, yes. This might be my least favorite sequence in the entirety. I mean, I was watching this going, what has happened to this show? What is going on here? Like, when did the Doctor become this? <laughs> It's all it's very, <laughs> very strange way to it. Like you remember in the end of time when it's him and Wilf doing yeah. the uh you know, the laser beams. Now that I can get behind that's a bit of fun. This is very oh look at his makeup. Look at this, yeah. Oh, I can't look at it. I'm sorry, I'm gonna put me but we're just we're just going in this case is just all just how it work, you know, she's virtually on his lap, you know, like like a grandchild would be, just kind of reading the, the poem to him, and he's, he's just, oh, it's a rubbish joke, I don't get it. <laughs> it's just... Given where I they've think, been, I think this you're is magic. saying him... No, I'm not even going there. I'm going to shut up, because you're saying something sweet. I think it's, it's magic. I'm not going to be tawdry for once. And the kid comes in, and it's, you're vulnerable? No, I'm not. And it's just like, you're getting that sort of, that real sort of old age vibe. Mm. I think you know what though, Fraser. I do. I do wonder if this was the sort of material that he was a bit like. Is this how we're going out? Yeah, like, in this horrible makeup, this horrible latex. It's I you know I get it, and I get what he's trying to do, and he's trying to suggest that the Doctor is this one. It's like the opposite of what was done with David Tennant, where they turned into yeah. just horrible Time Lord victorious. Yeah. Know, wiped out Gallifrey and now he can do whatever the fuck he wants with time and he's a horrible yeah. beast and he's got to be killed for it. And Matt Smith instead is a lovely, cuddly, sweet doctor who is yeah. going to stay in this town and save all these children from all the monsters. Because that's, that's what he does. It's like, you know, what what, what makes the 11th Doctor regenerate is, is old age. You it's know, a it's wonderful not... sentiment. Yeah. I think it is executed appallingly <laughs> I, I, I disagree i think you know we've we've spent and this is you know we saying like oh, i haven't had that connection with the characters to miss them it's because the story is is how many characters he's saved that the fact is that he's spent decades and centuries in this one place doing this one thing which is defending this planet it's not just you know this planet is defended there you go i've defended it sherry bye give us a ring you know, if they come back and I'll pop back in the TARDIS, he is literally just there and, you know, the travelling stops. You know, the journey through all of time and space stops for weirdly one though, I just town on one planet. I didn't feel anything watching these things. When Handles died, yeah. I don't know what happened there. Oh, I was God, nearly in tears. That, like, that was really, really sad. But you know what? Like, I think maybe this is him pushing the emotion too much then and so it's not because in power of the doctor when she comes to that conclusion that the power of the doctor is her friends yeah. and then she has that very very understated scene with yaz on top of the tardis and that wonderfully kind moment when she sends off that weird alien and that her yeah. last act before she regenerates is one of kindness and then she goes atop that cliff and says right come on bring it on that emotion is so finely judged and so, and yeah. in typical Chris Chibnall style, it's very understated. Yes, it's so It subtle, really it? made me sad. And yeah. where this is all, you know, on top of the tower, shooting out the energy, 
it's well, just I, it's too much. <laughs> what's well, in complete contrast? You know, I watched rewatched the just the last sort of like ten minutes before we start recording, and it really struck home at me. You know, we've got this scene where Clara's talking to the wall, and you know the the crack has been doing that awful thing of Doctor Who, Doctor Who, oh. which is kind of the theme of um, series seven. You know, it's introduced at the end of series six. That is the theme of series eight as well. Am I a good man? Doctor Who. Yeah. But no, the name of the Doctor. What is the Doctor's name specifically? Because, you know, you have the end of series six where it's, you've got Moldavar going, Doctor Who, Doctor Who. And that's, you know, you have the snowman where it's like, Doctor Who. And it's a runner theme. Doctor and you have the Daleks who. all saying, Doctor Who, Doctor yeah. Who. Exactly. Oh, who God. is the Doctor? Who is the Doctor? And this is the point where that comes to its conclusion yeah, I, no, no, it's that no, scene no. with clara against that wall just going mate you're asking the wrong question doctor who it is just the doctor that's who he is yeah. and that's what he does and that really just but i do me. believe that is established in the name of the doctor you know that it's not it, this is repeated here but in the name of the doctor he says i did it in the name of the, name doctor. Of the doctor it's explicitly said and then you have the day of the doctor where <laughs> you have john hurt who is not the doctor because he's, I can't say, because I'm actually going to say something positive about this horrific scene and the bit where the energy goes in him and he looks surprised and goes, ooh, <laughs> that's really funny. That's really, really funny. Now, this bit of acting where he's screaming his head off, I'm like, what is it happening here? It's it's his hero moment, isn't it? It's kind of like, yeah, he's... he's Do you know he's what, though? It. He did he's it better it. on top of Stonehenge. Uh, different... Hollywood actors watching him in that scene. Do you remember yeah. who was it who watched him in that scene and said he was absolutely astonishing? Uh, the oh, fellow from know. La La Land, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now he's wearing a shooty Gatwa t-shirt. He's a big Doctor Who fan. Oh, is that not him? Is that Ryan Reynolds? I thought it was. Who are you thinking of? Someone else. Oh, okay. Another um, Ryan. Who's the other Ryan? Ryan. Philippe? Oh, man. Mm. He was my sexual awakening. No. Ryan. Goslin. Ryan Goslin. Oh, maybe it was Ryan Goslin. That's the one with the. Sh- All the, sh- the Ryans are Doctor Who fans, you know. I've got to say, you know, they, whenever oh, they just... do this silhouette of a Dalek in the dark with the blue light, it looks very creepy. Yeah. I must say, though, when he's, you know, screaming at the Daleks, come and get it. That's just. No, he did it better in the Rings of Akaten. Take yeah. it all, baby. I love that scene. I think you know the the, oh, the bit before he gets the pixie dust, where he's kind of, you know, he's re- resigned to the fact that this is it, that he's gonna die, and he's the Daleks. You just still can't shoot me, can you? Oh. You know, the, he's got such a. You think that's good acting? Yeah, I think oh. he's 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 getting that angry side across. He's yeah, I think he's oh, brilliant man. in this. I think for all that year that he's not happy with his material, or whatever he's he's. Really oh, he'll always give hundred percent. Oh, I think he's given hundred and fifty percent there. <laughs> Is that possible? I'm not sure. Oh, I do like a a flaming Dalek, you know, in the wreckage. They did that a lot in Day of the Doctor, and they did yes. it in Eva the Daleks as well. After that, yep. factory went up. Turn uh, John Pertwee's hairdryer onto the little models of the Daleks and see them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so now I'm going to say, right, I don't, mm-hmm. don't really like 
these long speeches that the doctors have before they regenerate. And that does seem to be the way now. It was so refreshing when Jodie Whittaker just went, all right, mate, let's see who's next or something like that. It was like, great. No speech. I mean, and the Peter Capaldi one felt like it went on for the length of a Bible. But it was good. Oh, it went on, but it was, there was, it was better when she emerged though and went, oh, fantastic. You know? <laughs> Oh, actually, but, we, we, but I do think I I think this is his, the, the he saved the best for last here. Like his yeah. performance in this scene is really really strong. And geez, have you ever heard Jacob Tubman doing this scene? No. Uh, he's the guy who does the Matt Smith impressions. He plays him for Big Finish as well. Um, uh, man, man, it's bang on. I'll send you the link. But this this whole scene is just absolutely divine. And the music. You know, the music, just the scripting, the performances, the direction, everything is just absolutely spot on. And you know, I love, don't you love the music when Capaldi comes in as well? It's like... Yeah, I think this is the best scene. This is probably the best scene in the whole of Time of the Doctor. Is this... So which which is your favourite last scene for a Doctor then? Um... Oh, I don't like David Tennant's. That oh, oh, I don't want to go. Oh, bugger off. Um, it's probably Jodie Whiskers. I really love that. And in fact, if, as rumoured, that was going to be the last scene ever of Doctor Who, her on that cliff throwing yeah. out that energy, that sort of rainbow energy. Man, man, I'd love that to be the ending of Doctor Who. Well, I think this is this is up there. This is, this is just brilliant because, you know, you've had very self congratulatory ones up until this point you've had um Chris Eccleston you know you were fantastic but you know what so was I okay give yourself a pat on the back you've had... you know what that no 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 way but that was introducing the idea of a regeneration to yeah. a whole new group of kids who probably yeah. not get the concepts at that point you know but it's, it's, it's a very simple very stripped back sort of just yeah and then you have David Tennant who goes on his grand tour of of everything before he doesn't want oh, to go. I, love all of that. I just don't like the end bit. I love all I the grand know. tour, but not the end bit. And then you get this, we all change when you think about it. We're all different people all through our lives. And I'm never going to forget one line of this. I will always what? remember when what? the doctor was me. Some That's of those dreadful people. episodes, you want to forget them, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to forget the episode, but you don't want to forget Matt Smith. Not when he's given material like this and not when he's on this form because it's just it's absolutely gorgeous i mean i've certainly identified as i've done more matt smith commentaries yeah. i did a town called mercy with sigh and i just thought some of those scenes and that he was absolutely brilliant yeah at his oh, best yeah. he is stunningly good yeah she comes oh they're both in wigs now aren't they him and yeah, yeah. in fact hers does look a bit like a wig doesn't it but oh, I like the bit where they touch each other's faces. Oh, that's lovely. Good night. Oh, and she gets the last. I'm welling up. I'm welling up now. Yeah, this is real. And do you know what's great? I'm like well? Clara. If what's great is when he regenerates, he sort of sneezes, doesn't he? He sort of goes, yeah. and suddenly he's Peter Capaldi because we're so used to these protracted sort of throwing out the energy. Yeah, <laughs> but I think he's that's done that bit. He's got rid of that bit, but yeah, look at that. oh, here he is. I just, I just, yeah. Jesus, I, if I said that Matt Smith in that makeup was ghoulish, here's Peter Capaldi. <laughs> but... Peter Capaldi with these attack eyebrows. 
Oh, he's brilliant. I do. Do you know what? I do adore Capaldi as the Doctor. Yeah. Kidneys. <laughs> We're probably crashing. <laughs> Just one thing, Fraser. Do you happen to know how to fly this thing? thing. <laughs> oh, see, I'm laughing now. Oh, that's... look, I'm going out on a good note. Yeah. Although I'm going to say this to you. The you know because obviously it's very dreary when David Tennant the camera's panning in on him and he's oh I don't want to go and then he regenerates and all the place yeah destroys well I'll tell you what that first bit with Matt Smith is what the most delightful scene ever isn't it oh yeah I mean I I liked David Tennant's regeneration I think that suited his Doctor and I think you oh, know oh, misery if but he was a very narcissistic misery wasn't he. Yeah, he was a bit of Yeah, he had the ego, and that was the kind of ego. And I I love that Russell play to that. And again, you know, when we're talking about, you know, Stephen Moffat does dark things and pushes us in directions that we don't necessarily want to be pushed. Russell did that with End of Time. You know, we don't want a doctor who is all of a sudden, you know, seriously contemplating leaving Bernard Cribbins in a shed full of radiation we want him to be the hero so to have that moment where that's in doubt and he's kind of reeling against what yeah. he has to do you know he's going to do it but just have that moment of you know i could have done so much more and it's always going to be you will if it has to be you and i find it so amusing you know that that they actually go down the route of david tennant's doctor having so much hubris <laughs> that he actually believes he is as amazing as yeah. all those fans out there thought David Tennant was. Yeah. To a point where he's unlikable. I thought that was yeah. a really bold direction to take. Absolutely. And you know how many how many people was, would have been sitting there, you know, when he says that line, I don't want to go. How many people are just gonna sit and go, make neither? Yeah. And then Oh, he's back for Day of the Doctor. Now yeah. he's back again. He'll be back, back in again for Power of the Talks. Yeah. You know, so... <laughs> Looking a bit like Matt Smith at the end of this story, I'm sure. Well, I mean, people are knocking it and everyone knocks the, the makeup of the super old doctor, but is it any worse than old tenant in science? Oh, Fraser, nobody. Control? I've been watching Star Trek episodes recently where they've been aging up people. Nobody can do it. They just can't age up people convincingly. They just slap on. It, it's like people's heads mutate. Yeah. It's a, mo- <laughs> a bizarre effect. Well, I'm just going to see. I think it works. I think it's effective. He looks old, then he looks super old, and I think it's. And even when he's he's got the super old makeup on, I think he's still, like I say, giving us those bits because this is the this is the point in his era, isn't it, where people are saying he's just folding it, in it yeah, folding, folding it in, where he's all just flappy wrists and um quirks. There's a bit of that going on in series seven. There is, but. That's his doctor. So you're not gonna. He's never not gonna have, you know, flap years. It's like expecting, um, you know, David Tennant not to say I'm sorry, or you know, or how Peter Capaldi not to be a little bit sarcastic. Someone is. Oh, that's a part of their character. It's always going to be there. But there's so much more. There's so much more going on in that episode than just, um, you know, quirks. Well, and what's weird is I think like with Tennant he comes along and he gets probably the ultimate hero moment at the end of the Christmas invasion where he comes out and does his thing and saves the world and all of that. And he's absolutely like, this is the doctor. He's the absolute ultimate hero. And then Davies is so 
interesting that he basically makes him the villain come the end of his reign by having him turn into this Time Lord Victorious, who is basically the rules of time are mine and I'm going to do whatever I want. He's basically the bad guy. And that's why he's got to regenerate at that point, because he's he's yeah. gone off a cliff. With Matt yeah. Smith, I think he started off at his absolute peak in Series 5. Like he's at his, his, his zenith, right? He's fully formed. I think he probably gives one of his best performances in his ve- first acting in Doctor Who, which is Time of Angels and Flesh and Stone. He's brilliant in that. I mean, he, he does. What he goes on is, is they essentially make him a bit of a parody of himself and they don't push him in new directions. That's what's annoying. I think he finds the directions himself. And I think, you know, he's written the way he's written and he finds his doctor within that writing. And then, you know, um, Cy Hart always says that following the first series, following um, sort of Christmas Carol, you know, He's popular, the noise of success, and the writer's right to what he's doing, which is always the case. I mean, I've I've always said that Peter Capaldi in season eight is written as Malcolm Tucker and not mm. yeah. not Doctor Who, and that clears as it goes along. Um, so I think you know what the writing is doing is probably leaning more into the sort of infantile comedy side of him, and he's having to work harder to get those um those moments out of there. You look at um god complex where he's having to kind of really bring it down in the face of david williams character you look at um journey to the center of the tardis where he starts off very um you know cliche 11 doctor all you know excitable and um quirky and flappy wrists and the minute the tardis door shut he spins round and he sees goes the van valen brothers right you're mine now bitches we're going to go and find Clara, and he brings it right down. Well, with that example, I'll say he's doing some very heavy lifting indeed. Yeah, he does. Um, You know, he's he's got that Patrick Troughton quality of being able to carry when everything else isn't quite going on behind the scenes. You know, he can carry the story. He is always going to be someone that you're going to be there to look at and go, um, okay, you know, the side characters aren't there, maybe he's, um, you know, we haven't got the development of the companion as much as we want, but we have got a doctor who is always interesting and engaging and entertaining. And like the end of the 11th hour, I am not going to contradict you there because I think that's a good sentiment before we go into questions and three or 900 things that we love about this story. That is a good place to end the commentary part of this. And um, Fraser, can I very quickly just go and have a wait? Oh, I'm done. Picking it back up in. Right, so we have got Twitter questions because Ooh. you know how I like to um, go and ask the ham farm and everyone else out there um, if they've got any thoughts on this story or any questions. So, um, where are we at? Joe Short. Ah, oh, lovely Joe. Lovely Joe. Um, what colour do you think the doctor's new kidneys are? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they're the same colour as the Sixth Doctor's coat. Well, I was going to say tartan, so we'll go with that. Um, she does said I would happily help Peter Capaldi find out. Oh, Joe, you can give it generously. <laughs> um, Jack Coyer. Oh, um, yes. If you could replace Matt Smith's regular Doctor with an old man version in one of his existing stories, which one would you pick and why? What I've got to recast Matt Smith in one of his stories with an older actor? No, the old 
So like if the, the, the old Doctor or the super old Doctor, which one would you then put into another Matt Smith story? I'm so confused. Can you answer this question? Because I don't quite get it. So I would put the super old Matt Smith into the God Complex. Oh, I see. I get the question yeah, now. So I'd have that old Doctor in that story because I think having that old Doctor sort of creeping around that hotel and, you know, when it's all about like your biggest fears and whatnot, I think that would... Because it's not very action-packed, that as well. He doesn't have to do any sort of like physical physical stuff. Um, the super Are you old telling doctor. me he wants that creepy old Matt Smith in our, more stories? Probably so. Okay, well, I'm going to put him into... Oh, the snowman. Because uh, he's sort of a bit um, tired of the universe, isn't he? And, yeah. and a bit uh, sort of solemn in the first half of that. I think he probably worked quite well that. The old 11th Doctor would work well in um, Amy's Choice as well. Mm, yeah. Sort of like, you know, the Dream Lord is making, you know, the Doctor old, that sort of thing. I mean, I, the one I couldn't put him in is something like The Lodger, where he's supposed to be young and pretty and yeah. in a towel. You don't want to see that, do you? No, you don't. Um, what else Rennie? you got? Oh, Dave Rennie, here we go. Dave Rennie, him of all or us mm -hmm. um, I think the last 10 minutes is arguably the most exciting 10 minutes since the show came back oh he's a very strange man go on he's got a point um, but should the doctor have fully regenerated on the clock tower uh, uh, oh no oh no. god no I wouldn't want him to go out in that bit no I think the regeneration is we kind of needs to be in the tiles anyway for the next story to pick up well, not just that, you know, you, you have the explosion, you get rid of the Daleks with the regeneration energy, but then you need that scene, you need that last final scene, that, you know, lovely bit um, of not forgetting one line. You'd miss all that, really, so. We get that marvellous bit in Deep Breath where the Tyrannosaurus Rex coughs up a time-travelling furball <laughs> and her yes. needs to be in the TARDIS for that gag to land. Yeah. Um, Jason Thompson. Oh, yeah, Jason, yeah. Um, apparently the plan was a full season on Trends of Law, but Matt Smith wanted out earlier than that, hence it all uh, being crammed into one episode. Is that true? I don't know. Who's his sources? Who? Jason, who are your sources? Do you think a full season would have been better, made more sense, and added more weight to the eventual regeneration? Yes. And in fact, they did Tales of Trends of Law book, didn't they? Where they where they told short stories set throughout his time on Trenzalor. God, that would have been a really interesting idea if they'd have gone down that route. I'm gonna say no. Oh, well, you would. You can contrary git. I think a full season on Trenzalor would just be boring. I think how many episodes would you actually get through of the Cyberman attack Christmas and are defeated? Maybe Sometimes like a condensed like... six episodes like Flux. Would that have worked? Again, you know, you're still going to be kind of like we're saying the same thing, essentially. I mean, it's not easy as if you could even do like a, a John Pertwee season seven, you know, and mix the stories up. There's going to be a scope for interesting stories there is going to be well, a I lot. I think that's just um, a bit of imagination. What I would like to right? see potentially would. Say again, sorry. So that suggests that uh, a limited imagination there. I could tell a few stories on Trends Law. Yeah, but... I'd have my would. Weeping Angel in the Snow story. You would. You would. I think <laughs> you would run out of steam. 
quite quickly though. Um, so Daniel Knight similarly has said, um, has asked, would this work better as a two-parter, or should this have been a two-parter again? I just Ooh. think there's not enough. There's because not enough like, potters there is. That silver nemesis, yeah, yeah. There ain't enough to make up the episode length that we've got. He's he's already filling it full of fluff. What I think I would like though is, or what would nice would be another season between Day of the Doctor and this. So if they'd had another season of Matt and Clara, just this would have been general, yeah, yeah sure. you would have then had that time to sort of um, build up the character of Clara a bit more, throw in a bit more. You, know, you could have had more scenes with Nan if you really wanted that sort of thing. Oh, yes. um, so I it, love all those what ifs, but yeah. I wouldn't sacrifice that season with Capaldi and Colbert. No, no, because I have issues um, with nine, but I think in eight they are on fire. Because I think this is this is the ending that Moffat always wanted. I think there's probably elements that have had to be changed around. You know, maybe Tasha Lem has had to come in because Alec Kingston wasn't available, so that element has had to be. It does feel like that should be River Song, doesn't it? Yeah. But I do feel like, um, you know, the idea of him um, ending his reign as the Doctor, you know, on a planet where he's having to stay and he's having to defend it for centuries, I think that was always Moffat's plan. I think he's just kind of, you know, he's, he's the bones of what he's wanted to do has, has always been there and he's just had to kind of mould. Like the, the latex on it. Matt Smith's face. It just like the latex on Matt Smith's face, yes. Grew out of all proportions. Um, Daniel Knight carries on to say, is the character of Tasha Lem a B&M version of River Song? Yes, we have already discussed this and come discussed to the this. conclusion that, well, she basically is a Nazi in the TARDIS, isn't she? So. Yeah, she is. And why can't the Daleks in this and a day of the Doctor actually exterminate anyone? Because Muffin never has them exterminate anybody. They've never exterminated anyone because no, no. of course they're never going to exterminate the doctor because then the show's finished and it's well, that's what I liked when Chibnall came in. He had that Dalek come along in resolution and you killed a whole bunch of people and they were suddenly very scary again. Yeah, we'll put that down to space reasons, Daniel. Okay. Um, <laughs> you can cover a lot of sins with that, you know. Yeah, there's one from a guy I don't recognize the name, Simon Hart. Who's that? Simon Hart, I don't know. He's... Oh, I don't know. Let's he's see. A handsome enough, uh... handsome enough looking fella, but I don't recognise. He's very intelligent and incisive, or just a bit dull. Come on, let's hear him. Did this story really need to jump through hoops to answer every lingering question from the Matt Smith era? No, I don't think. <laughs> see, I don't think it does. I don't think it does jump through hoops. I think the hoops are positioned there as and when you need them so that when the story is itself progressing there's a hoop there that you can then jump through and say oh well, this explains this and this explains that and that explains the other i would have been um, happy with uh, an exploration of amy's crack rather than that enormous exposition scene that we they're just a crack and the time lords and that would probably would have been enough for me yeah yeah i don't think we needed to tie the the crack to the god complex that was certainly like... Oh, no, and actually, we skipped over that. That's a bit annoying that yeah. we saw what was in there, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that works better not knowing what the Doctor's... Yeah. Sometimes less is more. Less is more. So that felt a bit egregious, but the otherwise... Egregious? Uh, yes. I keep impressing you with that I'll word. Get you a dictionary for next Christmas. Yeah. Um, but, but no, I think I th the explanations for me felt like they were coming at a good point in the story. Um and that just leaves us, I believe, with 
Stephen Alexander, who's asked a few questions, um, is wrinkly old Doctor Who still naked apart from his holograms? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> well, there's a scene, isn't there, where Clara puts clothes on, so I'm going to assume that the Doctor puts clothes on at the same time as Clara puts I mean, I didn't on. even like the scene of Matt Smith young naked, so I don't want... No, no, let's just not go there. <laughs> Wasn't it great to see Eddie the Barman from Hustle in Doctor Who? Was he in this? I don't really watch Hustle, so I'm going to have to... No. Eddie the Barman is wonderful. They all they basically hang out in his bar, yeah, and they do tricks uh-huh. in every episode. They somehow manage to get free drinks for the entire seven seasons by doing various tricks on him. He's a wonderful character. I, I'm I'm think he might have been the fellow who was with Tessa Pete Jones, you know. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes, it was marvelous to see him. In which case, it was wonderful because that's a, a fantastic use of a exceptional supporting cast, as we've discussed. <clears throat> yes. And the last one, I'm going to leave entirely to you which is, why does Moffat have to write such crap? Well, I don't think he always does write crap. Sorry, Stephen, I hate to disagree. No, I love disagreeing with you. It's one of my favourite things to do. Um, But no, I I think that I have said several times lately, and his best, Stephen Moffat, is the best Doctor Who writer. And I think, I certainly think the work he did under Rusty Davis is some of the best ever Doctor Who. It's one of my favourite stories in my... I've got a quilt next door made by my other half of my top 20 stories, and it's plastered with Stephen Moffat episodes. So I don't think he just writes crap. Um, I do think that maybe when he's not being overseen, I don't think there was anyone, not the script editors, not the producers, because they were coming and going through Revolving Door, you'll be erased from Doctor Who old carol skinner um i mean any anybody was looking over his work like julie gardner and phil collinson were yeah. davidson saying do you know what that's a bit much so i think at yeah. times he was self-indulgent and he had godhood syndrome and he took things a bit too far so but i do think He's a good enough writer that even in episodes that I really dislike like this, there's still yeah. things that are good. There's still good dialogue. You know, there's still yeah. a good, a fairly good structure to it. I Absolutely. I, you can't, nobody, like Stephen, you cannot write off somebody with yeah. that much talent. No, I think, um, I I agree. I think he is, you know, hands down the, the best of the new series writers we've had. I think he's probably the best writer we've had. Um, certainly since Bob Holmes, um, him and Bob Holmes are really up there as as the top talent. Uh, and like you say, even if he's not writing a story that you're enjoying, there is still elements in there that you are going to enjoy. He doesn't hit the mark 100% of, 100% of the time, but whoever does, you know, I'll, you know, quite happily, if I was that inclined, I could pick as many holes in his writing as I can with Chris Chibnall's as I can with... Um, uh, Russell T Davies, yeah. you know. You no, know, I think there's something in there, you know, wherever your preference is, yeah, yeah. the opposing right, the showrunners, we we actually look for more flaws. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a very odd affair, you know, honestly. Yeah. Um, well, should we do our three apiece? <laughs> three. Go on then. <laughs> when have I ever done three? Well, I'm going to choose a scene to start off with. If oh, May I go first? Go on then. You may go first, guys. Ah, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, you've done so many of these now. You're one of my co-hosts these days, so <laughs> I have to ask permission. Um, 
I'm going to choose the scene where the angels are coming out of the snow because I think it is very well executed and it's sort of a moment of tension in an episode where I don't feel any real tension. Yeah. And that's a really great moment. Excellent. Who directed this one? We've done it. We've talked about that. Do you know what? I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out later. Um, I'm going to have a look well, while you're saying you're one, all right? Okay. Um, if you can pick a scene, then I'm going to pick a scene, which is going to be the regeneration scene. Ooh. Because, like I said, getting them back in the TARDIS and giving Matt that opportunity to have his, have his speech, which doesn't go on too long. And it is absolutely fantastic. It's a cracker. I just think it hits the mark so well emotionally. Um, especially after David Tennant, who didn't want to go, you know, to have a have the doctor sort of acceptance of, you know, yes, I'm going to change, um, and I'm going to be someone new, um, but I've loved my time as the doctor, and I will never forget that. You know, really kind of resonates, and yeah, literally just watching it five minutes ago has brought a tear to my eye. It's a fantastic scene. It's so well acted. Yeah. Um, it's directed by Jamie Payne. Hmm. I'm not sure if he directed any others, but I do think, like, Jesus Christ, man, he had a hell of a fucking Christmas cake to put together here. And <laughs> he he had a fair stab. I think the comedy's a bit overwrought, and that ending on the tower is somewhere in the stratosphere. But there's some good imagery in it. You know, it's pacey. It's visually interesting to look at. Um, so yeah. my second thing is going to be the character of Gran. Unfortunately, she never gets a name. She's just Gran. Um, I love Sheila Reed, And I feel like in an episode where the emotion doesn't hit for me, that yeah. the moment where she talks about her husband, who I think's passed yeah. on. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a genuine... It's like a I'm in a Rusty Davis episode for a second. And it, it hits me. In that scene, there's only two named characters. Clara and Linda. Oh wow. <laughs> We're back in Eric's Award territory. It's Gran and Dad in the credits. <laughs> oh, oh coming in. What's your next one? Well, okay, if we're talking about emotion, then I'm going to go for the moment where Clara speaks to the crack in the wall and Ooh. convinces them that the doctor is needs to be saved and you know the pixie dust comes from there. So I think that really good moment of like say that you know caps off that that whole thread that we've had through all of seven of Doctor Who, you know, it's you know, who is the doctor? Then you had to do it again. I did, yeah. Who is the doctor? You know, and that's that's been a theme throughout season seven. Who is the doctor? Who is this person? Not so much his name per se, but who is the doctor? Um, and it just sums it up nicely. You know, you don't need to know his name. You don't need to know. All you need to know is is what he does. Is what he does defines who he is. It's kind of like a preemptive. The doctor falls. You know, where I stand is where I fall. You know, what mm -hmm. I do. This is me. Um, and that again really kind of hit us this time around. Wonderful. Um, and the music in that scene as well, that sort of ethereal version of Clara's theme. Yeah. Is yeah. absolutely wonderful. I mean, I was gonna be obvious and choose the music because I think it's great, Scott. I especially love the <laughs> 
It's so that the long song. Yeah. I think it's one of the best bits of music in the all of Doctor Who. No, my third thing is gonna be. I'm surprised you didn't take this actually. Handles, because somehow he makes me feel for handles. Handles, yes. In a way that I've frozen a second, didn't I? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and the sequence where handles dies. And yeah. he's, a, he's a decapitated Cyberman head, for God's sakes. Yeah. Um, but the way the doctor goes, handles, mate, come on. It breaks your heart. <laughs> like, it's really sad. It does. It does. And it's, it's, it, 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 it's, it's finishing off a gag as well, isn't it? Because it's like, you know, he sets up, there's a gag at the start. Oh. It's like, you know, remind us to, to patch the, the telephone back through the interface. When? Just remind us. When? It's like, just pick a number, express it as a unit of time. And when that time's done, remind us to do this, you know, and, so on that basis, I will pick the, the the sort of comedy element of this as well. Um, like I said, there was some really good, you know, sharp comedy writing in there. I know you're going to disagree, but you know, I like I do like that scene where at the start where she's saying, "You need to be my boyfriend," and he's like, "Oh." It's because I feel like manual. I'm in an episode of um, Coupling. That's why. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's, it, it, I think that that just highlights, you know, the the strength of Stephen Moffat as a writer that you can you know, put that dialogue in that just zings backwards and forwards. And, you know, he, he can, he is a follower said that he doesn't just write gag after gag. He does write really um, witty, um, funny scenes as well. Um, so sort of the, the comedy element um, lands for me as well. I, um, I've got to do another one. Oh yeah, we're going to keep going. Oh, okay. Um, oh, good grief. I haven't prepared anymore. Let me think very quickly. Oh, Tessa Pink Jones! Yes, turning up for her single appearance in Doctor Who. Um, yeah, it's like Sheila Reed, two scenes. Tessa Pink Jones, one scene. Yep. I do think they're wasted, but they're utilised well for what they have to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll say Jenna Coleman. Fair. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I think you know throughout this one, it it is more focused on on the character work than you would get from most of your Stephen Moffat stories, um, and a lot of that lifting is done by Clara. Um, you know she is the one that's kind of like, you know, we've missed scenes where she's like talking to the doctor and saying, you know, why don't you just go, you know, you're just going to die if you stay here, you know, just leave this, you know. Let them have the planet. Let them shut the time lords up. You know, scenes like that. You know, you have the scene where she's, um, you know, she's kicked out the TARDIS twice, um, and she has to respond to that. And um, the scene with Nan, you know, where, you know, Nan's telling her the tale and she's just flooding up, and then her reaction to, you know, the Doctor regenerating at the end. Jenna Coleman just does superb work throughout. You know, and like we've discussed, even when she's not actually given much to do. She I think I think she had moments throughout Seven B, yeah. and then I think she got it in Day of the Doctor. Like like whatever it is, the yeah. the companion distilled it. Yeah. She got it, and now from this point on, she can pretty much play any episode, you know, and deliver. Yeah, but I do think she flounders a bit in Seven B in stories like Cold War and Hide and episodes like that. I mean, that's. It... 
you can justify that. You can say, you know, she is underwritten and she is having she to is. find, yeah, for sure. you know, find her feet and she is having to find the character within um, very sort of sparse characterization. So I think that's that's kind of forgivable. Well, extent. I'm going to say next, uh, and maybe this will bring this to a conclusion or not, I don't know. But basically, I said this for the dominoes, but I'm going to say it again. And it isn't just pampering your ego. My last thing is you. But it's not, <laughs> it's not, I don't like this. I don't like this episode. It's not what I want from Doctor Who. And I do think it's self-indulgent. I do think it's overwritten. I don't think it's very funny. I don't think it's it hits the beats it's going for. But I've had the opportunity to watch this through your eyes today and i can see a completely different perspective now it doesn't change my perspective but i see another perspective and that's quite refreshing and i think more doctor who fans should stop clinging on to their own opinions and do a bit more of that yeah absolutely i think um but i can see your point i can see why you don't like this. Um, I can see why I do like it and why others like it and why others don't like it. And I think that's exactly it. It's perspective. It's just, you know, what works for you doesn't necessarily work for me. Um, but ultimately, you know, we are in a position where, you know, we're blessed with a show which is now 60 years old, where we have got so much now of absolute quality. Whereas even if you don't like it, you know, you can hopefully appreciate what it's doing or what it's not doing um, and have plenty where you can say, well, yeah, this is for me and that bit's not for me. So I'll not dwell on that. I'll dwell on the bit. I'll live in the corners that I do like and not the ones that I don't. The joy of making friends who are like Doctor Who fans and like certainly like with you, me and Sai, where we've gotten very, very close over the last couple of years is that if you do have an opposing opinion and then you hear that other person's opinion when you understand that person what they think about the show as a whole sort of their background and all of this it absolutely it just it means it is a, a completely fresh look at the story yeah people absolutely do more of this all right <laughs> and stop just well, saying i'm right and you're wrong that would be a lovely part to stop, but I think we're up to nine now, so I'm going to give two more, which is going to take us up to 11. Go on, then. I've See got a lunch date at one. Get a shift. Right, I'll be quick, then. Um, Next one, Peter Capaldi. Coming in. Oh, um, yeah. oh God damn it, I should have chosen that one. <laughs> oh, I picked Fraser instead of Peter Capaldi. I'll never do that mistake again. <laughs> <laughs> You're more handsome than he is. Yeah, so Peter Capaldi, you know, doing what the best... You know, people do is just, you know, getting a little snippet to kind of tease us with what his doctor's going to be like and just, you know, sprinkling that little bit of magic all around that last sort of 30 seconds. Um, so that's going to be number 10. And number 11 is, of course, hey, hang going on. to be. What about me? We can do another one if you want. Yeah, I'm going to. Good grief. Unbalanced positive things at the end. <laughs> There's people that care about that sort of thing will never forgive me. Um, so I'm going to choose... Oh, I'm going to choose all the fabulous aesthetics in the town of Christmas because I think it's all a few sort of sunlight and snow yeah. 
and old-fashioned buildings and it just like you said Moffat does Christmas better than anyone yeah. else and it's rather ironically the town of Christmas is the most Christmassy Christmas ever there you it's, go it is it's all Victoriano and Christmas cards and Perhaps not quite as strong as the aesthetic in the Christmas Carol, though. Yes. But then I don't think that'll ever be topped. I'll pick woes. Right. So you've technically done number 11 then. Um, Mm. So I'm going to have to count one of yours as the war choice. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) My one that I'm going to go out on, and we'll we'll draw a line under you because you need to get away, is Matt Smith. Okay. Matt Smith is... Um, you know, this is the end of his run. You know, this is him. He's last. He's last out in as the Doctor so far. Hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll get more. But this is his last run out, and he does go out on a high. You know, maybe he's not particularly for in terms of, you know, story wise or character wise or whatever. But in terms of performance, he is as good as he's ever been. You know, he's he's hitting every note that you want him to hit. He's funny when you want him to be funny. He's sarcastic. He's um, he's angry. He does these. Again, he's he's kind of subtle anger and he's not so subtle anger and um you know he he's flappy wrists but he's still and he's just everything. He's the full package. He's always been the full package as the doctor. He's been, you know, such a magical presence, you know, throughout his his three series. Like I say, even when the story hasn't necessarily been the best, they've always had him there to to enjoy a performance from and he doesn't let us down here. He um Carries the show right to the end um, with that regeneration scene, which again is just absolutely sublime. Even within what I don't like that he doesn't, there's still though, there's still moments, even for me, yeah. the, the bit with handles, the surprise when the pixie dust hits his face, you know, <laughs> the regeneration scene. Yeah. where he delivers that speech so beautifully yeah in fact it's rather lovely you know because you gave a fabulous summation of matt smith at the end of the 11th hour commentary that we did well and now we've come full circle we have i don't think we possibly could say any more about time of the doctor you know or we probably could probably could but like say, we've, got, <laughs> we've got things to do places to see people well, we do but on this commentary podcast um, obviously, eventually, one day, we will do the Seeds of Death with Cy Hart, which we have now promised for the last 400 years. I think by the time we actually get to do a commentary on the moon, we will actually be able to go to the moon. <laughs> and do the commentary there. Do the commentary That'd there. Yeah. Fun. Uh, yeah. But you and I, um, I have decided, sorry, because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed doing it. I, you know, I wasn't sure this was going to go down, you know, but actually, I really enjoyed doing this. Um you and I are going to tackle a second attempt with no disrespect at all to the fabulous John Bensalia, who did the first attempt. We're going to do the Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe, round number two. Hey. And John, I have to do this because he pulled it out as a birthday present. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I've got an IOU in my pocket <laughs> that I've been sitting on for over a year. I know. <laughs> but as ever leads me to say you know you're marvelous at this it's wonderful to be with you thank you very much for your time well no thank you for once again inviting us on it's always a pleasure to come on even when we don't agree on what we're talking about sometimes that's even more fun when we don't agree mm-hmm. so i think we've got the art of disagreeing don't it's we? very nice we, we we absolutely i know we can 
disagree very agreeably these days you know yeah. I, the beginning of this, I don't know whether it's the fact that you know you've just got the sexiest voice in all of podcasting or whether you just make extremely engaging remarks but people just love your episodes honestly well hopefully they've enjoyed this one because i will say this before you know i will not forget this not forget <laughs> one line of this i will always remember when the podcast was me boom i got it there 